Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. We are wrapping up Wild Men. I hope you've enjoyed this series. It's been one we've been looking at uh, men in Scripture as we've gone through the month of June now into July. And before I get too far into it, I want to talk about winning. All right? I like to win. Um, Yesterday, it's been good having uh, Robin and Eric visiting with us, and we went bowling as a family. And I'll be honest, the first game, we played two games. The first game, I did not win. But I've grown up. I've grown up. I didn't, I didn't throw a fit. I didn't get mad. I was happy for the winners. You know, I was high-fiving, giving bumps to everybody when they were doing well. You know, it, it didn't tear me up. But I do want to take note that we bowled a second game, and I won. <laughs> thoroughly, thoroughly dominated. Thoroughly dominated. I mean, it's, if you'd even out the scores between the two, I probably won both games. I, but I've grown up. I've grown up. Trust me. I've grown up. Um, but I want to tell you about another time. Uh, I used to love to play football back in my younger days, and I was able to play for a decent amount of time. Um, I just loved to play tackle football. I'm talking pickup football, no pads, you know. And we would play a bunch of my friends at different times and stages of life. We played pretty hard, you know. And every year we had this uh, New Year's Eve retreat. It was for two or three days around New Year's Eve. We'd go to this camp up in Virginia, and we usually played a big tackle football game. I mean, it was, usually it was close to 11 on 11. It was a big game. And we'd be out there just knocking the mess out of each other. And that was back in the day, you know, I could like go out there and just run without any pads, headlong into somebody and get up and feel great. And now, you know, back before Christmas, I pinched the nerve in my neck by stretching in bed in the morning. Um, So things have changed. But back then, there was this, I don't remember if it was one year or if it was something that happened one year and another happened the next. But I want to tell you about a couple of times. One time I won. We were playing, and one of my buddies, he's a preacher now, um, I actually went and preached at their church back on Memorial Day weekend, Jason Woolard. He gets the football, it's down near the goal line, and he's, a, he's like a, a strong, stout guy, you know, he's just, he's, he's strong, he's got muscle. And so he gets the ball, he's trying to run it in, and it just runs into a pile, and his legs are churning, and the play hasn't stopped, but he's not getting in the end zone. You know, I had, I had been blocking somebody, so I come running around from behind, and I just hit the whole pile, and just drive, and push them in into the end zone and that was the game winner we were like yes and we got nothing for it we got nothing for it no trophy no nothing but we had a blast and I felt like a winner but there was another time I don't remember if it was the same year or another year like I said but there was I was a pretty good tackler I've never been like a necessarily a big bulky guy but I you know I I knew how to do it so I could tackle people and I was hard to tackle and there was this one particular year this guy was here and he is, gets the ball, and he is just an absolute beast. He ends up going later on after he graduates high school. He was a, a championship wrestler, I believe, in high school and a big-time football player, just a mountain of a guy. He ends up going overseas and basically doing UFC fighting before it was, like, really super popular. So this is kind of guy this is. He gets the ball, and I go run it up. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I'm going to take this dude down. This is going to be epic. Well, Next thing I remember, he is definitely running over me, like stepping on my chest as he runs over. And literally, like, boom, and just knocks me down. Boom, 
and just keeps on going. And I look back, and my brother-in-law, who's also, you know, he was a good tackler and, and hard to tackle. He's coming up next. I'm like, okay, I slowed him down. EL's going to finish it. Next thing, boom, 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 stomping on EL's chest and running to the end zone. And I'm like, okay. All right, let's, let's not do that again. All right. At least if I, if I lose, I don't win, I learn, right? But that's the important thing. If you don't win, you lose, you learn. But here's the thing. I've lost a lot more than I've won when it comes to sin in my life. I've lost a lot more than I've won when it comes to sin in my life. And those defeats that I have been dealt, that I have probably gone into with pride, thinking I'm going to control it, I'm going to win, I'm going to defeat it, I have lost more than I've won. And that guilt, that shame wears down on me like a 250-pound running back stepping on my chest like I'm a doormat. I mean, it knocks me over and it gets me in my head and it locks me in a prison. And I know, I know, I know the answer is that Jesus loves me and that Jesus died for me and all of you. I know this. I know it. But that guilt can trap me and shame me into just pulling away and distancing myself from God. And from my brothers and sisters, my family, it can push me in ways that I never thought I would go. And the crazy thing is, with all the guilt, all the pain, all the shame that I feel from that sin, I can feel so guilty and so lost and so defeated that I just go right back into it time and time again. It doesn't make sense, does it? But have you been there and done that? Absolutely. We all feel defeated and there's a popular saying that I mentioned just a second ago, and it's become really popular in business and sports in particular, and it's this, you don't lose, you learn. You don't lose, you learn. You change your mindset and say, okay, that, that loss that I took, it wasn't a loss, it was a learning opportunity. And so you learn more for the next time. And for Christians, I believe that with sin and temptation, that can be very true and it should be true. Is that yes, we know we sin. Yes, we stumble. We fall short of the glory of God. But if you're in Christ, all right, now that's the qualifier. If you're in Jesus, now you might need to get yourself into Jesus. You might need to surrender your life to him to be washed and made clean and whole and new in baptism to receive the Holy Spirit. But if you're in Christ... You don't lose, you learn. Your sin is an opportunity to learn and get stronger and, and turn your heart back more to God. We don't want to take the wrong attitude that Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 6 that some people say, you know, oh, should I go on sinning so that grace may increase? You know, some of you are saying, well, if there's grace, I might as well sin and enjoy it, right? What did Paul say? No! By no means, absolutely not. That's a ridiculous attitude. That's an unrepentant attitude to have. We don't want to do that. But we do need to understand that Jesus and his blood are more powerful than our sin. And when we're in Jesus, when we're covered by the grace of God, if your heart and your mind is repentant, you're turning back to God, it's not a loss, it's a learning opportunity. It's an opportunity to get better, to grow stronger, and to be more devoted to Jesus. So don't fall into that attitude of, you know, I might as well go big attitude and just keep on sinning. So what I want to do today is look at our last wild man. To me, he is the ultimate wild man, and his name is Jesus. You might think, oh, that's a little bit, maybe that's blasphemous for whatever. But Jesus was a wild man in the greatest sense of the word because he did not fit into anybody's box. 
He did not allow himself to be squeezed into a mold or role that people thought he was who he was supposed to be. And he was the best example for us in that, to just do what God has created us to do. He didn't fit any of those norms. He was not the Messiah that people thought he was supposed to be. He was the Messiah, but they completely misunderstood who he was supposed to be. He came in gentle, riding on a donkey, and they thought he was going to come in and lay everything flat. But one day he will stand victorious completely for the whole world to see. He was not a rabbi like other people thought he should be, but he was an amazing rabbi. He was a friend of sinners when they thought he should have rejected and turned away from every sinner. But he ate with sinners. He ate with tax collectors. And that's funny how some things just translate from culture to culture, right? You know, <laughs> you know, they understood it. You understand it. He ate with tax collectors. He ate with sinners. But I believe to learn how to be free, to learn how to be free, to learn how to be victorious over sin, we can look at an account from his life early in his ministry in Scripture and learn a lot about how to win against temptation and sin in Luke chapter 4 Jesus has just been baptized it's a crazy event we talked about John the immerser last week and that's who baptizes Jesus and then he does something intentionally that you and I tend to do by mistake sometimes he goes and puts himself right into the presence of Satan he puts himself into a place of temptation, knowing that's what's going to happen, and he does it. We do it sometimes by accident, and then sometimes, sadly enough, we do it on purpose. But the difference is, is that Jesus, while he was fully man, he was also full of God. He had a purpose, and so you and I don't need to go looking for that kind of trouble. We will get there by accident many times, but don't go looking for that kind of trouble. Don't have that kind of pride. Don't put yourself in danger spiritually. Because before you say, well, I can handle this temptation, I can handle this thing, you just need to remind yourself of a simple proverb, it's this, you ain't Jesus, homie. I don't know if y'all remember that from scripture, no, that's not scripture, but the principle's there, you're not Jesus, don't try to just put yourself into the lion's den on purpose, life will lead you there plenty of times without you doing it on purpose. But let's look at, uh, look at let's look at Luke chapter 4. Uh, this morning. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. We've got the scripture on the screen. You can turn your Bible, turn your Bible app. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, the days that is, he was hungry. Is that not one of the greatest understatements of the entire Bible? It says he did not eat for 40 days and he was hungry. <laughs> I'm like, come on, Luke. I know you're a doctor, bro, but get a little bit more like, you know, let's be realistic. 40 days he did not eat and he was hungry. I get hungry after 40 minutes. You know, like especially Chinese food, you know, it's like, I'll pound that thing, and then like 40 minutes later, it's like, oh, I'm starving. I can see a rib. No, I can't see a rib. Um, but I get hungry after that time, and he was hungry after 40 days of being in the wilderness, not eating, not eating at all. And I, I just blows my mind. But here's one thing I do know. This was a prime time for failure. Am I right? How many of you 
when you're like me and you haven't eaten in 40 minutes, it's a really good time for you to screw up and do something stupid. Anybody else get hangry? Some of y'all tell the truth and let the Lord love you. Others, y'all lie. Um, maybe you don't have blood sugar issues like me, but I get angry and, you know, I need a Snickers. And I'm telling you, 40 days without eating is a prime time for failure. You will do crazy things. You know that he had to be struggling with keeping his balance. You know, he had to be so physically weak. He had lost pounds possibly because one thing we know about Jesus, even though God was right there with him at all times, he also went through life just like we did, right? He had to eat, and he went without food. And yes, God miraculously sustained him, but he was tired, he was hungry, he was weak, and it was a prime time for failure. So we learn our first lesson from Jesus if we want to win and be free. The first key to freedom is this, total dependence on God. Total dependence on God. Jesus had fasted for how many days? Forty days. He was weak. Jesus had relied on God to sustain him and keep him going, and you and I need to learn to do the same thing. We need to learn that no matter what, we need, we need God, we need Jesus, we need the Holy Spirit, just like we have not eaten in 40 days, and our next breath depends on him. Our next moment of strength depends on him. That is the attitude you and I need to have. Because here's the truth I want you to understand. God won't be all you need until God is all you have. That's a powerful statement right there if you listen to it. God won't be all you need until God is all you have. And so Jesus was reminding himself that he needed his relationship with the Father because the temptation that he was about to go through that we're going to talk about was tough, but the next three and a half years or so were going to be extremely tough as well. And he was going to face pressure from outside, pressure from inside, pressure from friends, pressure from enemies, and he had to be ready. And so he wanted to be completely focused on relying on the power of God which was, it's crazy, it was him and it was God the Father, it was the Holy Spirit all combined into one. But if Jesus needed that to be fully dependent on the relationship with the Father, guess who else does? Me, you. We need to be completely dependent on God. We have to make it our goal. That's a difficult goal for us to accomplish, but that needs to be our goal. That every day I get up and I say, I want to be more dependent on God than I was yesterday. It's not going to be easy, and it may not happen 100% this side of heaven, but if you get closer, you'll be happier. You keep striving, and you keep saying, more of Him, less of me. More of Him, less of me. And I don't want you to miss the point here. Fasting, like Jesus fasted, is a good place to start. Uh-oh. Well, nobody wanted to talk about fasting. But hey, fasting is a good place to start. If we can learn to trust God in small segments of time to say, okay, I feel like I'm starving to death. It's been 40 minutes. But God, I trust you, and I'm going to focus on you, and I'm going to pray and talk to you about what's on my heart. If you can learn to physically fast from food and take that time to pray, we take the focus off of worldly stuff, worldly power that we can help ourselves with, and we put our focus back on God. You understand what I'm saying? So as scary as it is, I want to encourage you to take up 
fasting from time to time. Fast from food, but it can also be many other things. You can fast from entertainment, whatever you like to spend time watching or doing, and take that time and pray. It can be fasting from social media, and I'm telling you, your life will be better. <laughs> if you get away from all that negativity, your life will be better for a time, and you pray and you talk to God. You can get away from whatever gets in your way, and you talk to God and focus on Him. And honestly, this is where the idea of giving comes in. God commands us to give not because he's greedy or needs our money, but he wants us to learn to be what? Totally dependent on him. He wants us to be dependent on him. And so that's why I believe God wants us to give because when we earn our own way, when we make our own money and have our own stuff or when we want that to be our goal we spend a lot of time saying man look at everything I've got it said look how well I've done to use a parable that Jesus gives you know I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns because I got more stuff and I earn more stuff and what did he say about that guy you fool this very night your life will be demanded so God wants us to learn that we need to submit everything to him. And a truth that you and I need to learn, you know, just using the, the biblical example of a, of a tithe, 10%. That's a good starting place. But God wants us to be cheerful givers. We got to learn the truth that when we give to God first, that God will help us do more with 90% than we could ever do with 100%. But if you cannot trust God to do that, you'll never understand what it means to fully rely on God I, I am amazed still about a couple that I've known for many years they've been married they've got to be approaching 60 years of marriage probably they made a commitment they didn't tell this their their son told this they made a commitment when they got married that they were going to start with the tithe 10 percent and they said Lord willing we're going to try to add a percent every year to what we give can you imagine They've been married approaching 60 years. You do the math. They, they may not have been able to do it every year. I don't know. I don't know the specifics, but that was their goal. And more often than not, their son said, they, they would never tell anybody and brag about it, but he was trying to teach a point, and it's a valuable point. He said more often than not, they would add a percent, and they began to live on less and less and less. But you look at their life, and they're joyful, and they're happy, and they've got the stuff that they need, and they've got the stuff even that they want. And you and I have to understand that when we learn to trust God with everything, fully depend on Him, He will bless us in ways we never could imagine. Because here's one thing I want to sort of leave you with on this point. Either God is a provider or He's not. That didn't get a lot of amens. Because <laughs> that hurts, right? Either God is a provider or he's not. Either God is a way maker or he's not. And I'm preaching to Bobby right now just as much as I'm preaching to anybody. But God is either a way maker or he's not. He can either provide all you need or nothing you need. Because he's claimed to be able to provide it all. So let's trust him with all of it. Every area, every moment, every thought of our life. Learn to be fully and totally dependent on God. The next key to freedom is this. Reply with scripture. When temptation comes, Jesus is here in this desert. He's hungry. He's tired. He's weak. He's been fasting for 40 days. And the Satan comes, the deceiver, the tempter comes and tempts him. And it says in verse 3, the devil said to him, if 
if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. So he backs up our first point right there. I'm fully dependent on God. Man shall not live on bread alone. I'm going to trust God to provide what I need when I need it. And that's exactly what Satan was trying to attack. Satan did not want him to trust God for his provision, did he? And Satan will try to tell you that God won't provide for your needs as well. And so that will lead us to sin, and that will lead us to have greed, and that will lead us to chase after everything that is going to try to destroy us. Satan does not want you to rely on God, but he wants you to rely on yourself. Can I tell you a secret? Your mama might think you're perfect, but you're not. You're a good person probably, but you're not God. I try to be a good person, but I'm not God. And I will let me down and I will let y'all down a lot of times, but God will not. So trust him to provide, not yourself. Going on in verse 5, it says, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give to you whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, once again, what? With Scripture. It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. First time, Jesus answered with Scripture. Second time, Jesus answered with Scripture. Satan wanted him to be tempted by skipping the pain of the cross and say, look, you don't have to go to the cross. I'll give all this to you. Just bow down and worship me. You can be Lord of all. You don't have to go and have the nails driven in your hands and in your feet, the spear shoved through your side. You don't have to have people yell at you and spit at you and pull the, the beard from your face out of your skin. You don't have to go through all that. You can have all the power, all the glory. It'll be yours. Just bow your knee. And if you think really hard, haven't you been faced with those same kind of temptations in your life? Maybe it wasn't about going to the cross, but it was something you want to avoid. You want to avoid all the pain, but you just wanted the pleasure. And so you wanted to, all I got to do is bow the knee for just a moment. And it doesn't really mean anything, right? It doesn't mean anything. I can just do it for a moment and everything's going to be okay. Satan will try to get you and me to take shortcuts every time. Instead of trusting God's timing, instead of trusting God's provision, God's power, take the shortcut and I promise it'll be good. Don't wait on God's timing. Lie, cheat, steal, do whatever you got to do to get ahead because you just can't trust that God's going to come through. Look at verse 9. And he took him, that is Satan, the deceiver, took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, he keeps using this phrase, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I imagine, this is just Bobby right here. Everybody, everybody notice that? 
this is just Bobby, but I sort of imagine that when he says this last time, I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit that he was full of, it said, I believe that he puffed up his chest a little bit, and when he said those words, you shall not put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test, I believe he meant fully he was talking about himself at that moment, and I bet for a moment maybe Satan, he, I bet he was pushed back a few feet. I, I really think that may have happened that way. Don't stone me if you think it's wrong, but hey, it's okay. But I believe that he probably stood up for that moment. He had passed that third test, and he had been willing. He had been willing. See, don't mistake the idea. Jesus probably had his doubts. He probably had his doubts. It's like, people don't believe that I am the Son of God. At this point in his ministry, we know that his brothers and sisters did not believe in, in that he was the Son of God. And so maybe doubts would creep in. He's like, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm crazy. People have told me I'm crazy, maybe I'm crazy. And so when Satan says time and time again, if you are the Son of God, maybe he was started to believe it. And so he's saying, let me show once and for all, I'll throw myself off the temple, and this will be the time. That'll get me more followers, right? You can justify anything, can't you? If I just commit this one sin, the payoff is worth it. A moment of pleasure, escaping pain, taking the shortcut, speeding up the timeline. You fill in the blank. But Satan tried to cause Jesus to doubt his identity, and he will do the same thing to you every single day of your life. And I do believe that oftentimes that's what causes most of our sins because we forget and we doubt our identity in Jesus Christ. People can't love me because you don't, they don't know what kind of person I am. And so we do things to try to gain love. I'll give my body away and I'll get love in return. Because I don't think anybody's going to like me the way I am. I can't deal with my reality, so I'll use drugs and I'll use alcohol to create a new reality. And I will be the person that I want to be and that people will like and people will love. Or we feel like that if we come clean and we tell about our sin and what our struggles are, that there's no way anybody can love me. So we keep the game up and we keep lying and we keep faking it. And we never, ever come clean and repent and we hide our secret life. But before we move on, I want to point out one big truth here. To reply with Scripture when temptation comes, we have to know Scripture. To reply with Scripture when, it com when temptation comes, we have to know Scripture. I told y'all recently about my test in college I completely forgot about. And I prayed, you know, I, I mean, I, didn't, even, I didn't, didn't remember one moment. It wasn't like, oh, I studied for a couple days and then forgot and then went in. It's like, oh, no, I didn't remember nothing. I mean, this was like a unit test. I go in and, I, you know, I prayed, oh, dear Lord, put these answers into my brain about Pauline epistles, and please, Lord, do it. And I got the test back, and it was a 42. <laughs> because God has not promised to give you stuff that you've never tried to know. <laughs> he, he may. I'm not saying he can't. But if you want to be able to answer with Scripture, you've got to know Scripture. You've got to study Scripture. You've got to be reading it so you can have an answer when the temptation comes your way. Far often, we starve ourselves from God's Word and wonder why we're dying. Life is just this far away if we just pick it up. Life is just this far away, and you know you don't let this thing get far away from you. 
And if you don't know how to download the Bible app, we'll do it for you. It will send a scripture to you every single day, whether you want it to or not. Say, and God loves to just send you that right scripture. You're like, come on, Lord, really? This one? <laughs> you can be close to scripture. You can have scripture in you, but you've got to do all you can to put it in you every day. Think about it this way. If you think I'm just being simple and simplistic, I want you to think about it this way. Imagine that there is a bomb like you've seen on TV. There's a bomb here, and you are trapped in this room, and this thing is counting down. You know, one minute left, 59 seconds, 58 seconds. Y'all know the pressure. Y'all can imagine. You've seen plenty of movies and TVs. At that point, with 58 seconds left, is that the time to bust out Google and be like, how to detonate a bomb? And my stupid phone would be, how to detonate a BIM? What's a BIM? What? It's a bomb! Autocorrect, you know what I'm saying? Y'all know that frustration? 58 seconds left. How to detonate a bomb. Cut the green wire. That's what they do on TV and it don't work. Okay, y'all think I'm crazy, and I am. But do you understand what I'm getting at here? You need to have that skill. If you're going to be putting yourself in a position where you may have to detonate bombs, uh, not, not detonate, uh, you know the word. Whatever. Don't be judgmental. Disarm, there you go, disarm. You, if you're going to put yourself in a place where you may have to disarm bombs, it's good to make sure you have that skill. I would not join the bomb squad and wait for Google with 58 seconds left. I will not do that. If you are going to put yourself to have to disarm bombs, and guess what? Raise your hand. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's what you're doing. There are going to be plenty of bombs in your path. You need to be ready to disarm bombs at every moment. So fill your mind and your heart with Scripture memorize it if you can at least memorize a paraphrase god there's so many translations people try to tell you that god's got one translation false he does not he does not speak in king james english you know he does not do that memorize a paraphrase or memorize the version of scripture start with a verse that applies to your greatest struggle did you hear that i mean let's just use it for example let's say your struggle is lust Look up scriptures that would answer that particular struggle. And then continue to do that. And then add scripture to your base of scripture knowledge over time so you can have ammo to fight the enemy when he attacks. The next key to freedom is this. Be alert, it's not over. All right? I want to say this because this is so important. Verse 13 says very clearly right here. Let's look at this. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. How many times have you been wrestling with a temptation and you win? You're excited. You ever been there? You're excited. You're like, yes, I finally beat that thing. It's got me a hundred times, but I won on the hundred first time. And you're so excited. You're like, anybody remember George Jefferson? I used to love George Jefferson. You get that George Jefferson strut. You know, you're like walking out of there. I know I'm using old TV shows. But you're walking out of there. You're like, hey, hey what's up? <laughs> you know, I am, I am defeated that sin. It has got no hold on me. And Satan's like, yeah, keep on. That's Satan's greatest tool is for us to become prideful and arrogant and think I'm good. But what did it say about when Jesus was being tempted? After he had ended every temptation in that moment, what? He departed from him until an opportune time. Satan is just waiting for the right time to come back. And he will come back with a vengeance. Because just like I don't like to lose, he don't like to lose either. 
and he is a loser. And so there's no greater way than to make a loser angry is to keep on beating him. And so he's going to come back with a vengeance and he's going to throw everything he can at you. And he will not come with a little tail with a red point, a little thing on the end and horns. He ain't coming like that. He's coming like an attractive woman or an attractive man or a kind listening person or a get-rich-quick scheme or whatever it may be. He's coming in ways that we would not expect. And when you beat him one time, he'll come back again. Be alert. It's not over. Because if the sin itself doesn't get you, pride will. And you'll be easy to stumble next time. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He is out looking for someone to consume and destroy and devour. I, I love years ago, I saw a good buddy of mine use a similar illustration, I've used it many times since, about cheetahs. You ever watch those nature shows where they've got lions and cheetahs and they, you know, it's usually a British guy, he's like, oh right, you know, oh that's Australian, sorry. This, it's an Australian show. Um, he's like, the lion is going to sneak up on its prey. And there's, there's a bunch of gazelles out there in, 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 the, in the savannah. And they're out there, the gazelles are eating grass. But the smart gazelles are like, you know, like, they lift their head and chew while they're looking around. And then there's that dumb one, you know, maybe it would be me. That dumb gazelle, he's sitting there, he's like, mm, this is some good grass. Mm. Man, it, how, how come y'all ain't eating this grass? Mm, mm, mm. It's just chewing. And all the smart ones are chewing with their head up and they're looking around and they're like, cheetah, cheetah, cheetah. And they're like whispering. And dummy is sitting there, mm, this is some good grass. Mm, mm. I can't even chew because you're chewing, I can't even hear because you're chewing so loud. And then all of a sudden, the cheetah's like, cheetah's coming. You know how they do? They got that high shoulder roll. And they're and they jump on that one it's dumb everybody else is gone they're like cheetah 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 and they run you and i have to be alert because the cheetah the lion satan the devourer y'all ain't gonna remember nothing else but that are you <laughs> the, de the deceiver is going to devour us if we're not alert and looking up because he is coming back with a vengeance so you can't keep on forgetting to learn from your mistakes when you get tangled up in sin and you will don't do the same things that go to the same places continue the same habits that led you into temptation the next key to freedom is get to work and this is the last one verse 14 and jesus returned in the power of the spirit to galilee and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Jesus, at this point, he'd fasted for 40 days. He was tired. He had just won a great victory. He could have said, all right, it's time to go on a little vacay. I'm going to relax. I'm going to recuperate. But what he did was he left one spiritual battle, and he went straight into another. He could have just kicked back and said, I need a sandwich. I need to relax. And that's a tendency that we have. When life is difficult and spiritual battles are coming on, we say, I need a break from serving God. I need some me time. But after all that trial, it says the very next thing that Jesus does is goes and gets to work in his ministry. Isn't that crazy? 
He goes and gets to work in his ministry. He goes and serves other people. And that's what you and I need to do as well. Matthew 20, verse 28 says, Jesus, it's not up on the screen. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And if our Lord didn't sit back and relax, we shouldn't either. Simply put, though, in God's kingdom, there's no place for a non-giving, non-serving, non-sacrificial Christian. That's true. Our culture and our society has sold us a lie, and I mean our church culture, has sold us a lie that there's different levels of Christianity. You can be a sold out, you know, the, the Bible thumpers like they like to call you, the Jesus freaks, you can be that kind of person, but there's a lesser version for you. And I'm not saying you've got to be a jerk. We've talked about that just last week, you know, about how you talk to people. But I'm saying if you are deciding to give your life to Jesus, you're taking on the life of Jesus, that means you die and Jesus lives through you and in you. That's the only version that there is of Christianity. If you are going to be his disciple, that means you look and become more like him every single day. We're called to sacrifice and to give and to serve. Now, I, I know the answer to this. I am not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I guarantee that some of you are pushing back in your head right now and you say, but what about rest? What about rest? Knowing you probably don't rest like you're supposed to anyway, but you're going to use it now because you're like me. You're like me. You're like, but I need to rest. I need to rest. And right now, maybe you're thinking, well, what about Mary and Martha? You know, one was worshiping and one was serving and he praised the one who was worshiping. Hey, hey, hey. Jesus praised the worshiper, yes, but Jesus set the example for us to follow. He did these first three things we talked about. He did these first three things we talked about as well as doing the last one. He practiced dependence on God. He filled his mind with scripture. He stayed alert all while he performed ministry. And Jesus set the example for us because during his ministry, all along, what would he do? He would get away, he would get quiet, he would pray, and he would rest, and he would talk to God. So here's what I'm saying, before you get upset with me. Here's what I'm saying. If we're going to be healthy, we've got to learn to intertwine our service and our rest, all mixed together. They are not mutually exclusive, where you do one for a long period of time and you do the other for a long period of time. You rest and serve and mix it all in together. You get filled up spiritually. You spend time with believers and are encouraged and you serve all at the same time and get the rest you need. And here's why I believe it's important, to make sure it's intertwined. Is because people who only worship become self-centered. And those who only serve become burned out. Because there are those of us who we like serving and we say, I'm going to serve, 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 serve until we kill ourselves spiritually. And we give up until we give out. And then there are other people who just like to do the, the, the worshipful parts. Now, the trick is they're all worship, right? Everything's worship. Serving is worship. But they like to do the worshipful parts, and they're like, I don't have time to serve. I just need to come and get fed. And if that's all you do, you'll become self-centered. You'll become a self-centered, spoiled Christian. And if you're a person who only serves, you'll probably become, you'll look down at other people because they don't work as hard as you. And you'll get burned out. And so what we do is we mix it all together and intertwine it. We rest and we serve all at the same time. All right. I hope I haven't lost you. I want you to stick with me. We're about to wrap this up. We seek, we got to seek balance to grow spiritually. And when we're growing spiritually, we're truly free. Instead of falling in the same traps time and time again. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says this. 
I say this to wrap up because this is the example of Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus, when you're going through temptation, remind yourself that Jesus has been through it and did not sin. Then back up to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when he's tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's a lot of stuff right there, but I want you all to focus in on this real quick. It says that Jesus has been through temptation, but yet he was without sin. And he became the sin offering that takes away the wrath of God. The propitiation. The sin offering that takes away the wrath of God. So even though you're going to lose, you're going to go out today and you're probably going to lose in a small battle or a big battle. And you're going to want to feel defeated and you're going to feel like God doesn't love you anymore and you're going to think that your church family won't love you anymore, that your family won't love you anymore if they just knew what you did. But remember that if you're in Christ, that Jesus is the offering to God that took away the wrath of God for your sin and my sin. I thought that would get a little bit of excitement because that's good news. That is the gospel is that Jesus was the substitutionary atonement. He was the one who stood in our place and took the cross that you and I deserved. And he can help us. We're not alone. He sympathizes with us. And when he was tempted, he was yet without sin. And he takes away the wrath of God. And then I want to leave you with this passage. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded... Look around really quick. This is a small part of the kingdom, the body of Christ. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, but Jesus shed his blood for you. Many years ago, and I've told you this story before, but it, it fits. I was preparing to run my second marathon, and I was there, and it was hard. 26.2 miles, I was about to die. I made the last turn. It was only about a half a mile, maybe, not even that. It might have just been the point two, I don't know. And I made this turn onto the waterfront at Virginia Beach, and I wanted to quit with every fiber in my being. I felt like it had been 40 days without food. I was about to die, or so I thought. My legs felt heavy, and I felt like I could not run, and I felt like a failure. I should feel better. I should feel stronger. I should be able to keep on running. I should be able to blast through that finish line. And it had been desolate at times. There were times that family and friends and just people were cheering on, but there were times of desolation when nobody was out there. And all you heard was the silence of what you thought was your failure. But I turned that corner onto the waterfront at Virginia Beach, and there were hundreds and thousands 
of people who were cheering on. There were people who had finished the race and had come back to stand there by the finish line to shout, and they had our names written on our race bibs, and so they called out, Go, Bobby, go, Rod, you can do it. And I felt the wind come into my lungs, and I felt the strength regain in my legs, and I put out my chest, and I pumped my arms, and I ran, and I finished because I was surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, people who care about me and cared about me and wanted me to finish and finish well. And that is you. You are someone who's cheering for somebody else. And you are someone who is running the race and needs to finish strong. And by the grace of God, because Jesus is the offering that takes away the wrath of God for your sin and my sin, you can finish strong. Because Jesus is enough. Keep winning. Keep running into freedom. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for serving. Set the example. Help us to be victorious and stand in the freedom that you have purchased for us. We love you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.